Hey everyone, recently I asked you to tell me what you wanted to hear on a podcast episode, and many of you wanted to talk about anxiety. So today I am talking all about anxiety, what it looks like, and how to cope with it with Dr. Julie Groveman, a psychologist in New York City. You are listening to I'm Not Your Shrink, a podcast about changing the dialogue in your life. I am Dr. Tracy Dalgleish, a clinical health psychologist and couples therapist. Each week, we talk about everyday issues that people face with the intention of helping you to feel connected to yourself, to others, and to live your life. Hey, Dr. Julie Groveman is sitting with us today. I am so excited to have you here with us, Julie. I'm so excited to be here with you, Tracy. So today we are talking all about anxiety, and I wonder even as we start to jump into this topic, if there's something that really resonates with you around this topic. Yeah, this is such a common issue that we all face as humans. You know, anxiety is something that we all experience at different points in our lives, and I think that we... um, there's, there's, it's not talked about enough. So I'm really excited to talk to you about it today because I think that there is some shame around just being able to understand it, to share your um, experiences around it. So I, I think that um, today I'm really glad that this is the topic. Julie, I'm wondering if there was ever a time in your life where anxiety really popped up and played a role in what was going on for you. It did. And at the time I was completely caught off guard and it was in middle school. I would say I was pretty outgoing. I was pretty social and I was really surprised when I was in one of my classes and I had to get up and give a presentation and I was just so, uh, so unprepared, I think for, it was a French presentation and I got up in front of my peers and I just kind of blanked out. And then I had all these physical, uh, all the physical sensations associated with anxiety. And at the time, I really didn't know what it was that was happening, but I was feeling just really like warm and nervous. My heart was beating. I was getting very hot. And I just remember feeling like, wow, that really didn't feel like me. And it was really uh, overwhelming and it and it kind of imprinted my mind where I felt like after that it was really hard for me to just get up and talk in front of my classmates at um, in school and then it kind of generalized a little bit more to certain situations where if I felt like people could tell I was nervous it made me more nervous and it was um you know, anytime I got red, that was kind of my symptom that I really felt preoccupied by and distracted. It it kind of became a fear of people seeing that I was anxious. And so that's part of the, the whole piece of anxiety now that I understand it better is that it's a fear of having this experience that really keeps it really strong and can really maintain it for you over time. Right. Oh, that's such a good example, Julie, around how how oftentimes we have these early events and it, the word you said, it imprints on us, that it imprints this experience so that the next time we go to do it, it's like we're having that initial experience all over again. Exactly. Exactly. And I think because at the time I wasn't sure what it what what this was called and I didn't have that label that this is anxiety um 
it was just something that started to become like a barrier for me. And it made it really difficult to, um, to feel confident in those types of situations because I started to really dread them and avoid them. And so anytime I would be put in a similar situation that triggered that same feeling of, oh no, what if people see I'm nervous? What if they can tell that I'm getting red? What is that going to mean um, about me? What are they going to think? And I don't think I was even aware of these thoughts. I've become much more aware over time of what that experience really was at the time. But um, I think because we start avoiding certain situations, that really perpetuates that cycle. And we don't have the chance to really recover and repair, have like a reparative experience to see that we can survive feeling anxious. Right. Yeah, it's such a vicious cycle. We feel anxious about something. And naturally, as humans, we don't want to feel uncomfortable. So we move away from it and we avoid, right? So we don't go near it. But you, you're, you've you got it there. It's just that this is a cycle that perpetuates. Exactly. It's impossible to move forward when that happens. It is. And, and I think that that's why it can take people you know, it can take years, it can take a lot of time until we're really able to build the awareness about what's happening for us. It can take a long time to move past some of these barriers. And one of the things about anxiety, the reason I really love talking about it is because it is treatable, it is extremely common, and it's something that if you're able to get the help that you need, and you're able to build skills around it, it can really it can be present in your life, but it doesn't need to interfere in, in what you want to do for yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it can be part of your life. It doesn't have to be your full story. I, I like to remind clients when it comes to anxiety and, and even what you're saying, you had this experience in middle school. And when we have these early experiences, it's not, it's not going to change overnight that you've been feeling this for a really long time and it's been building for many days, many weeks, many years, that change takes time. It does take time. And even as an adult, and I can say this as a therapist, I've had, I've had to be in my own therapy just for my license to become a clinical psychologist. Um, my program, I had to go through a certain amount of therapy to ah. complete to complete my doctorate, which was actually a really big gift because I really hadn't been in therapy before that. Um, But also just as someone who's self-aware and really helps guide other people through their difficulties, I still face moments um, and times where I become anxious and have little setbacks. And I think remembering that just because because you make progress and just because you're learning and you're working towards a goal doesn't mean that you're not going to still struggle in certain areas, especially during certain times that might be more difficult in your life. So it's important to remember that for myself and just as humans that we can fall back and it doesn't mean we're at the beginning. Mm, Absolutely. So tell us a little bit about you as a psychologist. Me as a psychologist. Well, I... I always laugh when I tell people this story. I laugh and they laugh sometimes because I really do feel like I was born to be a psychologist and I really did I really did know early on that this was the path for me and I didn't know what it was called as a kid. I didn't know like, oh, I want to be a psychologist, but I just naturally really gravitated towards uh, 
people who I, I felt were in some way different than myself and really loved listening to stories, um, adult stories. I would like watch Jerry Springer as a kid. I would listen to like Sally, Jesse, Raphael. I'd listen to Loveline really late at night. Um, really things that were, um, I would say too mature for someone my age. And I'd get in trouble a lot of times for my parents <laughs> being like, this is not appropriate for you to be watching. Um, but I really, but it was just like a natural curiosity that I had early on. And um, I also had, you know, a lot of support at home. And I felt like I, I felt really encouraged to do what felt right for me from the beginning and just to follow my dream. And it was a very natural progression when I studied psychology in college. And then I went to graduate school directly after that in California. And I, I think it was probably the best decision I've ever made is just really listening to my gut with following my path. And I know there were, there was no one around me going to graduate school at the time. And I think a few people might've said to me, like, you know, this seems like a really hard thing for you to do, you know, at 21 to just go to another like five or six years of school. And I just, I didn't doubt myself with it. And I, I don't, I've definitely struggled with self-doubt in other areas, but this was one thing that just felt like I had an inner purpose that I wanted to follow. So it's been a really natural, um, intuitive path. That's amazing, Julie. You know, it's, it's really uh, inspiring to hear you say you knew this path, but you also chose to do something that's hard because going down this road is, isn't an easy road. There were many years of training and writing and researching, but you trusted that this was something you wanted to do. You chose a hard path. Yeah, I chose a hard path and it was really gratifying also being able to provide therapy to people immediately. I was in a program that really um, trained you to work with all kinds of people from all different cultural backgrounds in a very diverse area of San Francisco. And just starting to do the work before I was fully licensed and really seeing that it was a good fit for me and feeling really rewarded at the end of the day. And I wasn't getting paid for it at all, like in the very beginning, but I was really, those were my best days providing therapy. And it was just showing me that this is exactly where I was meant to be. And when you have a taste of what you want and what you can see that vision, you know, while you're going through it, it was a gift that this program allowed me to really provide therapy so early. So I've been, I feel like I've been a therapist for way longer than I've been licensed sense, which has been really nice. Yes, absolutely. Support for today's episode comes from Loop Earplugs. For so long after having children, I kept wondering why I was easily overwhelmed and felt like an angry mom. The noise from the kids, the dog barking, and the sounds around me from everyday life. But I now understand that I'm not an angry mom and instead my nervous system gets overwhelmed and overstimulated, which is why I've been turning more and more to my loop earplugs to help me stay more regulated and engaged with the family. I'm using loop engage to help dampen the sound around me. And these loop earplugs allow me to still be with every beat and conversation. I still hear Greg. I can still hear the kids. I love that they are so comfortable and they come with eight silicone ear tips to ensure the right fit for you. 
The best part for me is that I take them everywhere with me. They are proving the test of time and not to mention they're stylish in my ears. Plus, we love the kids versions, which we've been able to take to the movies for our kids. I'm so excited that Loop Earplugs is offering you, my community, a discount so that you too can tackle that overstimulation while still being engaged with the activities and people you love. Visit loopearplugs.com and use my code loop times Dr. Tracy for 10% off your order. That's L-O-O-P-X-D-R-T-R-A-C-Y for 10% off your order. Support for today's episode comes from Cozy Earth. You know I am all about caring for ourselves, especially in these busy years with our young kids. We are pulled in so many directions, but I think it's so important for us to find ways to nurture ourselves that require no additional time from us. I should probably let you in on one of my favorite things to do to look after me, and that is to get a good night's sleep on amazing sheets. I am beyond thrilled to bring you Cozy Earth's luxurious bedding products with an exclusive Mother's Day offer just for my listeners. We've got a code. It's SHRINK, S-H-R-I-N-K, for 35% off at CozyEarth.com. Now, I didn't believe it until I tried them, but I firmly stand by my sleep improving with the temperature regulating technology, which adapts to your body's needs. For the past year, I have not slept on any other brand of sheets. Cozy Earth uses the very best fabrics, materials, and wares, offering superior softness for you to sink into at the end of those long days. I look forward to getting into bed, and we've been loving the sheets for over a year and their sleepwear is so unbelievably soft and it's made with such great quality. But the best part is that if you're worried about commitment, enjoy a 100 night sleep trial and a 10 year warranty on all of your purchases. Head over to CozyEarth.com and use promo code SHRINK for an exclusive 35% off and give the luxury she deserves with Cozy Earth. I'm going to jump now back to anxiety. And one of the things you had said in a recent live you did on Instagram um, was how important it is for you to label and notice your experience. Yes, I think sometimes what happens with anxiety is that we have these thoughts and we have these feelings and we, we're, we're feeling confused and we're feeling stuck and and discouraged and frustrated and all the things that come along with feeling afraid and if you don't know what's happening you you get really um overwhelmed and stuck and lost and you stay in that place and so even during the live I mentioned how waking up first thing in the morning with that pit in your stomach like something bad is going to happen just being able to label that that is anxiety or the thoughts like having obsessive thoughts and getting stuck in those thoughts and you're you're going over and over the same negative thought and just being able to label that that that's your anxiety again that's not you and so that gives you a lot of it kind of separates you from the process that's happening and it can provide a lot of relief when you just say oh yeah that's what's happening like i know that i'm familiar with it now and it may be frustrating that you're still doing that, but at least you have a word and it, it takes, um, it doesn't identify you with that process. Right. I can think of, um, 
being postpartum, my anxiety really spiked and being in a store, trying to find, just buying a birthday gift for a birthday party and saying, and just starting to be overwhelmed. I started to sweat. I started to over get overwhelmed. And I started to have thoughts of what, what will the person think of this gift? What should I choose? Should I choose that one or that? And, and I noticed that it was this kind of catastrophic type thinking. And it's so important just to be able to say, okay, this is anxiety right here. Exactly. This is anxiety. And it gives you a second to pause to say, what can I do for myself in this moment? And maybe even provide yourself with some self-compassion, which is one of my favorite ways to help reduce anxiety is to, in the moment, be able to really witness it and be a friend to yourself rather than beating yourself up for, for having such a hard time with it. Okay, Julie, what does being a friend in the moment mean? Because that compassion is such an amazing tool and I love using it with clients, but it's a hard one to learn. It is. It's really hard. And it's also, you know, naturally as humans, we don't think we can be on our side. It's kind of like we have this natural inner critic that pops up and reminds you, which actually there are reasons we have an inner critic to, to continue to strive for things, to monitor things that you're doing, to check in and be able to tell yourself when you're proud of something or when you could have done something a little bit differently. But um, perfectionists, well, I'm sure we'll get back to you know the whole idea of perfectionism and how it relates to anxiety, but mm. perfectionists have an overactive critic inside and it can really, um, it, it can just take over. And so the idea that ironically, people who have that really strong inner critic are so kind to others and, you know, can see the best in others, but really are their worst enemy. And so in that moment, I actually just had this conversation with a client recently where we talked about just the value of being on your side and providing support to yourself, being on your team in that moment and being, giving yourself the benefit of the doubt to say like, wow, what's going on here? It's not that you're just like, so dumb, you can't make a decision. It's that this is actually really, you're overwhelmed right now and it's coming out in this way and it's okay. And take a moment for yourself and, and to kind of be that friend that you you would want to have that you would probably be to someone else. Right. Yeah. I really like adding that expression of I am overwhelmed and that's okay. Right. Just allowing that note of compassion. I wonder what other um, experiences, anxiety looks like? What, what else would people describe it as or that you hear some of your clients describe it and often feel surprised that that's anxiety? So anxiety can show up through our thoughts, through our feelings, and through our behaviors. And, you know, you can have the physical sensations like stomach discomfort. You can have, you know, sweating or um, pacing and just feeling very restless. There's irritability. Um, there's also sometimes when we're so uncomfortable and our mind, let's say your mind is really racing, um, it's easy to also not be aware of what is going on in your mind. Like what are some of those thoughts that you might be replaying over and over again. And self-doubt is something that sneaks up on you. And that's a sign of anxiety too. Like really seeing yourself through a negative filter, um, thinking the worst is going to happen, 
just, you know, sometimes people are so used to their worries and they think that that's serving some helpful purpose, like preparing them or protecting them. And in a lot of ways, you know, you just get used to that as that's the way you are. And that kind of worrying can be exhausting. Yeah. So those, and then the behavior piece is avoidance. Avoidance is a big sign of anxiety. Also procrastinating can be a sign of anxiety. Yes, absolutely. So when, when you work with clients who have anxiety, what would you say are the most common things that you see people trying to do to cope with it that, is, that are not helpful? And I bet many people can relate to this. And actually, I know at times I do them too. <laughs> yeah, and I do them too. And I think we're all imperfect and we're all in the moment. It can be hard to put our skills to use if we're feeling overwhelmed or, um, you know, we can, we can try with the knowledge that we have, but there are always going to be times where we don't know, we don't use the skills that we could use. I think, um, avoiding is so tempting because when you're afraid or you're overwhelmed or you're uncomfortable, we don't want to put ourselves in the situations or to, to, to do the things that, might feel really uncomfortable, but are what's going to help your anxiety. So I think avoiding and also seeking reassurance, I think those are really tempting because in order to, in order to really move past anxiety, we need to know that we can experience the sensations and that we'll survive the feelings, no matter how uncomfortable they are, that they won't hurt you, even if you feel so uncomfortable. And so when you're when you're trying to tolerate that and you, you avoid, let's say, um, there's something that's causing you some anxiety. It might even be going to an event or making that decision. If you turn away from it and you avoid it, you don't have the chance to, to confront or to work through that issue. Mm -hmm. Um, the flip side is also like, if we're having a lot of anxiety, we might, another easy way is to ask someone like, what do you think I should do? Or is this okay? And it's all underneath wanting to know that we're okay, that we're safe, that we're um, making the right decision or that something's going to work out for us. And so when we do that, it temporarily might feel good, but it doesn't really help you with, with learning ways to really tolerate the anxiety, which is how you, how you can really cope. Right. I'm thinking of some clients who, you know, the, the kind of the, the word we use is the safety behaviors, right? So things like, I can only go out with my friend to this place because I get anxious there. Yes. Yes. So there's a place for that. I mean, if it's between not going and only going with a friend, then I think you need to go at your own pace and gradually get to the point where you're able to do some of the things that you're afraid of. So I don't think jumping to go on your own to a place that you feel really uncomfortable and anxious about is something you would do immediately, but it's something that you'd want to work up to with the support of your therapist or being able to get to that point gradually. Right. Support for today's episode comes from ZocDoc. 
We all know there are things in life we have to compromise on, like the right way to load a dishwasher or whether those socks are going to stay on the floor for a week. Okay, in all seriousness, but when it comes to your mental health, there is no compromise. So we don't need to go back to that one therapist or one physician who didn't align with what we need just because they're available right now. We don't need to compromise on the care we need for our overall wellness. Instead, this is where ZocDoc comes in. This is a place where you can find and book hundreds of types of doctors, including therapists, psychologists, and psychiatrists. And you can find someone who will make you feel comfortable, listen to you, and prioritize your well-being. ZocDoc is a free app and website where you can search and compare hundreds of types of patient-reviewed in-network doctors, including mental health providers, and instantly book appointments with them online. You can search by location, availability, and insurance. Go to ZocDoc.com I-N-Y-S and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then find and book a top-rated doctor today. If I needed this app, this is one that I would be going to. That's zocdoccom slash I-N-Y-S and get the care that you need today. I, I think the highlight around the solutions here that what people try to do to manage their anxiety is that we try to find these short-term solutions. They're the immediate solutions. The short-term solutions. Yeah, because the discomfort can feel so high and it's not fun to be in that position. And I also talked about this on the live recently about that feeling of waiting, of waiting through a really dark period and trying to be patient with it is can be excruciating. That's a very hard feeling to be with. But the, the, the key with anxiety is really seeing that it cannot stay so high so long. Mm-hmm. And so if you're able to watch it peak and allow yourself to kind of be with that feeling and allow it to kind of wash over, you'll see that it will peak and then it will go down and just being able to, to watch that process. So it is, I don't want to minimize that this is really tough, especially if you're dealing with this daily. Um, but that is, that is the piece that we can survive that feeling if we let ourselves experience it. Right. Yeah, because the short-term solution there is avoiding, seeking reassurance, or trying to fix or make things go away. But how different it could be if you can sit with that feeling and experiencing the peak and knowing that you're okay still, that feelings do peak and they come and go. Yes, they come and go. And there are things, I mean, there are other strategies. I don't think just sitting in that feeling and just being like miserable is always the answer at all. I think that there there are different thoughts that you can practice. There are different behaviors, mindfulness strategies, I think are really effective for helping you to help in a healthy way, distract yourself or kind of be, feel more grounded in the moment to really center, center yourself and to allow the feeling to pass without feeling like you're not doing anything. Um, but you are doing something intentionally to, to help yourself through that experience. So Julie, what would you, t- what would you tell someone to stay in that moment, to be able to sit and ride the wave of the emotion? What, what would be the first thing that you would recommend for someone to do? To acknowledge the feeling and to know that, that it's okay. Whatever you're feeling in that moment is okay. That our feelings are here not to, 
to hurt us, but this is a familiar feeling that you're having that, um, that you can survive. And so acknowledging it and then, and then you are asking to to tell them like what to do with that after you have that experience. Mm -hmm. So reminding yourself this feeling will pass no matter how uncomfortable it is. You've gotten through it before. You'll get through it again. Um, One grounding technique I really like is focusing on what's around you, what's happening in that moment to help ground you into the moment. Even, you know, doing deep breathing, I think is so powerful because when your mind is really uh, preoccupied and racing, it helps to, I mean, two things, I think doing deep breathing or also physical exercise can be really helpful. But if you're you know, if you're feeling overwhelmed, sitting down, you might want to close your eyes, take some slow, deep breaths and focusing on our breath or focusing on relaxing your body helps to also relax your mind. Um, and just imagining that one helpful strategy I really like is just imagining that the energy is kind of leaving you. And I, I like to think of anxiety as an energy that is just in your body and needs to be released like a tension that you're releasing. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So I, I think grounding yourself in that moment by putting your feet on the floor, maybe touching the chair that you're sitting in and really feeling the sensations of just having yourself be supported in that moment. Right. Just letting the chair support you and just be in that moment and mm-hmm. just breathing. The breath is so powerful and it's something that, uh, yeah, I often feel a lot of resistance from that with clients when we start talking about breath work and breathing because it it sounds simple, but it's it's really powerful and it can be really hard. It can be hard and it and it you might not think it's doing something for you, but sometimes doing less is more and just sitting down focusing on that moment because a lot of times the anxiety is we are focusing on things that are not happening in that moment. And our mind is like somewhere else. You're dissociated for that moment, thinking about what's happening in the future or something that had happened before. And that's causing a lot of tension. Mm -hmm. And so when you're really able to ground yourself into the moment and the reality, that can really bring you out of that feeling. Right. Okay, I'm going to circle back because you mentioned perfectionism. So yes. Let's talk about some of those parts about us that contribute to anxiety. So I think that some of the most kind, giving, um, self-aware, hardworking, intelligent people are the most anxious. And I think that's because they're maybe too aware and maybe too, um, what's the word? They, they just have really high expectations for themselves. And so when you're a perfectionist, you're not able to accept that, um, you can screw up sometimes That's part of being human. And so not having that leeway for yourself, having that high expectation, I'll just give you an example. I don't think I was a perfectionist when I was in middle school, but even that idea that people could see an imperfection, um, just that idea they could see how I was feeling and see that I was nervous. And 
revealing that, that idea was so overwhelming to me. And so maybe I was at that time actually a perfectionist and didn't realize it, but most human conversations can be awkward sometimes. Um, Humans can be awkward sometimes. There's imperfections, like we all screw up. And so if we, if we're, if our expectations are so high, that creates a lot of um, pressure and, um, you know, feeling like you're not good enough and, and needing to maintain some standard that's really unrealistic. It, it, this kind of feeds into a bit of vulnerability and shame, eh? That if, if, and I'll just go on the example of a presentation that if I show up in my presentation and I say to people, gosh, I'm really nervous about doing this. It's like, I'm being vulnerable and I'm putting that out there and I could be rejected or I could be humiliated or whatever that is. Yeah. And so what if it was? I love asking that question. And I remember in grad school, I was in a course, a CBT course, and um, we had to be really vulnerable and open up about, you know, if we were the client, what would we, what are the automatic thoughts that come up? And I was asked, you know, what, what situations scare me? And that is one, getting up in front of people and feeling like I mess up or something is shown that's imperfect or they can tell I'm nervous. And then I, this, the most powerful um, statement or response from my teacher was just, so what? What's the worst that could happen? What's the worst case scenario? So what? They see that you're nervous. They see that you're nervous and they see that you're they see you. And I think that's actually at the core of a lot of our anxiety is really being seen for who we are and really being witnessed as imperfect people and having people really see what's going on for us. And I think that just letting go of that creates a lot of freedom. Um, but yeah. Oh, that's, that's so, I I think so many people can relate to that in just the sense of, you know, this fear of being seen for what we are really experiencing that others can, could reject us. Likely not because we, you know, if we have those connected relationships with others, but the what if, and so what, so what you get to make something from there. (laughs) Yeah. And I think that um, that's a lot of powerful work that we can do with our anxiety is really looking at the reality of our fears. A lot of times we have these fears and we have these um, situations that can trigger us. And then really looking at the reality and the evidence behind what's the worst case scenario here. And most of the time, our brain really does a great job of tricking us to think that we're in danger or that we're being threatened or something horrible could happen. But most of the time, it's really not that bad. What our our most, our biggest fear is like, okay, if that happened, you'd figure it out somehow. Right. Hey, Julie, where do you think the inner critic comes from? The inner critic, well, it can come from a couple places. You know, in your family, if you had someone who was pretty critical of you or was pretty critical of themselves, like as as um, in development, we learn from our environment. And so the early messages we receive, some of them we don't even realize we're receiving just by watching how our parents treat themselves, not even how they treat us. But, you know, if you have a mom or a dad who's very hard on themselves, we can see that. And 
or, um, you know, having a low self-esteem really constantly, if they're critiquing their appearance or feeling not good enough or not speaking up for themselves, sometimes that translates into, we observe that and we learn that behavior. Um, we can also just our temperament, like naturally, I think I'll even just with myself, i I'm naturally a pretty, um, my self-critical, self-monitoring person who just really tries to do better or think about how my situation could improve in certain certain times. And so as a kid, I think that was a strength and also was a limitation because I could feel really bad about doing something that wasn't so bad sometimes. So um, I think it can come temperament, your environment, and um, just your experiences in life. What a, yeah. What comes up there is that often, and, and I think it's important just to emphasize that oftentimes it's not necessarily an interaction that happened, but it's, it's what we see. Um, it's what we hear. It's how we learn what other people do or what the world does or even the things that we needed and we didn't get. Yeah. And the, the really powerful piece that we can, um, that can be empowering is that we can change that part of us. And that once we recognize the voice that's playing and it, identifying that it's not your voice, possibly, maybe it is your mom, maybe it is your dad, maybe it is a past partner that was an unhealthy influence in your life and really identifying where that critic, whose voice that is and giving, you know, having some compassion for the the role it's played because it's obviously been there for a reason and maybe there's some pain around that and being able to shift it is up to you. Like you have that choice. You don't need to keep talking to yourself that way. Right. Okay. So you, you have talked about high expectations. You talked about perfectionism. What, what other kind of personality traits or parts of our temperament do you see that contribute to anxiety? I think, well, self-esteem, and this isn't a personality trait, but I think a lot of people feel like it's, um, it's not okay to feel good. And I know that is like a weird, in a weird way related to anxiety, but like almost like it's a self-esteem thing. And also just as a human, our brain can't, it, it doesn't love feeling satisfied or content or at peace. It kind of goes to this negative place. It picks out the negative and that's just the nature of our mind. And so noticing that pattern, like even if you notice something good happens or something you've been wanting and you finally achieve something, it's doesn't, that feeling doesn't last very long. And that's just the human mind. It kind of, um, it goes to like the next worry or the next thing. And whether you're a worrier or just someone who's a high achiever, um, or it could just be, you have, you just tend to be someone who can't really feel satisfied often. I see that a lot where, you know, it's, we're very quick to think about the negative or pick out those pieces that, that, um, that are causing some distress. And so I think catching that pattern and really noticing it doesn't need to be that way, that it does take more effort to focus on the positive or to focus on things that can help, um, you to feel calmer and that that is actually healthier for your body to be in that calm state, not to be in that fight or flight worried feeling. Right. 
I, I see a lot of people needing control as well in there when, when anxiety really pops up. Yes, it, it does. And needing control, needing to know what's going to happen, wanting to have certainty that they're making the right decision or that they're feeling like they're making their choices. And the, the hard part of this is that control is really an illusion. We really don't have control over much. Mm. Even, if, even if you're the only person you're interacting with all day, your day can go many different ways. Even if you're, you're planning the way you want things to go, things pop up unexpectedly all the time. Right. Yeah, absolutely. So what would be your top three pieces of advice to someone who is trying to deal with anxiety? My top three. I think that the, just being able to accept that this is something that we all experience and that this is something that just by recognizing your anxiety and being able to let it be the way it is, is a huge piece that can provide a lot of relief because there's that saying, what we resist persists. And so if we can just kind of open our arms to this, and I know that sounds so strange because it's such an uncomfortable experience that you wouldn't want to experience and you wouldn't want to embrace it, but in a weird way, it does deflate. If you're able to say, I'm okay with it being here, I'm going to let you stay here while I'm living my life. It's kind of like, I, I tell people too, that you can't get rid of anxiety. It's not possible. And so, um, instead of, instead of putting energy into trying to resist it or get rid of it, really trying to just let it be with you. That's one thing. Um, the other thing is I think really trying to use it as a motivator. And I think that's helped me in my life is to say, Anxiety can be very motivating if you look at it that way. It can, it can alert you that you care about something or that um, you want to be prepared in some way for some certain situations. And so if you learn how to manage it in a way where it can serve you in a, in a positive way, in a motivating way, and keep it kind of tamed um, where you're in control... Um, and when I say control, I don't mean that you're controlling your anxiety, but that you're letting it be there, but also still doing things that you want to do that are important to you. You're not letting it get in the way. Um, that can be really motivating for someone to look at it in that sense. Right. You're making a choice, right? There, you're making a choice there that you can, you can choose to do something and still feel anxious right? Or yes. you might feel something else or choose to not do something, but you'll probably still feel anxious. Yes. Choices. Yeah. yeah. Use it as a motivator. Okay. What we resist persists. Open it up in your life. Use anxiety as a motivator around things that you do have control over. What's your third one? Yeah. And I think not being afraid to really speak out about it and wow. to name it and to not be ashamed of it or to be isolated with this feeling because when you do put words to it and you share that that's how you're feeling or you label it for yourself, you're really able to take the power back from it and to realize it does connect all of us. I mean, it is the number one thing that I get, you know, number one thing in my office, number one question I get on Instagram. It yeah. is 
it is such a hot topic because people want to know how they can get some relief and also that everyone has experiences with anxiety. So really feeling comforted by that, that you're not alone. Yes, absolutely. So Julie, when should someone seek treatment for anxiety? If they're experiencing anxiety and it's becoming part of their life or an event that they had, when, when should someone go? You can really go and begin therapy anytime you'd like. You don't need to be experiencing anxiety for years or months or days. You could have had one experience and really feel like you're overwhelmed and just want a second opinion and want a sounding board. That can be really helpful. Um, And at the same time, if you have been struggling in feeling alone with this feeling for a while and it's just starting to really wear you down, it's very helpful to seek some support and um, it is a little bit harder after you've been experiencing something for, for years and it's been so ingrained for you to, to make those changes quickly. And I think in general, therapy is a process and it really does take time to, to, um, to make progress. And it's, um, so earlier, the earlier, the better, but anytime. Yes, absolutely. Okay. Julie, tell us more about where we can find you. So I have a private practice in Manhattan and I am going to be leading several women's workshops over the summer and um, different parts of the city. So if you were interested at all in coming to one of my workshops, you can reach out to me on Instagram. I'm at ask Dr. Julie, or you can find me, my website is askdocjulie.com. And I do also have a free newsletter that has a free self-esteem guide. If you wanted to sign up on the first page of my website, you can do that at any time. And I also just like connecting with people through Instagram. I've been starting to do a little bit more lives on there. So I'm open to your feedback about any topics you'd want me to talk about. Oh, thank you, Julie. And your Instagram is one of my go-to places each day. I love seeing your posts about anxiety. You had a really great one around boundaries. So thank you so much for chatting with me today. This was so much fun, Tracy. Thank you so much. This concludes our episode for today. Thank you so much for tuning in. I would love to hear from you in some way. If you have a question, send me a DM on Instagram or post it on my website, drtracyd.com. I would love if you head over to iTunes and left me a review. Let me know what you thought of today's episode. Or if you have any ideas or wishes in terms of what you'd like to hear on these episodes, please drop me a line. Remember, this podcast is strictly for informational purposes and does not substitute for mental health care from a licensed professional. Until next time, have a great week, and remember that you are right where you need to be. What's up, guys? I'm Gabrielle Stone, host of FML Talk. After being love-bombed, married, and cheated on, trust me, I've got some perspective on love, heartbreak, trauma, and healing. FML Talk has become weekly therapy for my listeners, where I give you a safe space to heal with, of course, a few F-bombs thrown in. Fun girl talk episodes, solo episodes that will guide you on your healing journey, and guests with stories that will leave your jaw on the floor. Grab a cocktail and come hang with me every Wednesday on FML Talk.